Today we begin part two of our study through the book of Joshua. All of these sermons are online on SoundCloud. Uh, Part one, there was a very lengthy historical introduction. We will not have that today. You can reference that online if you are interested. But I, I do want to say this. Make sure you understand this big picture out of the gate What are we talking about? What are we being dropped into in the story of Joshua? The theme. Here's here's the theme. Here's the the bottom line up front. The book of Joshua is a part two. It's a sequel. It's a sequel to the story of the Exodus where God redeems his people out of slavery, out of Egypt. He formalizes his covenant with them at Sinai. But it's a a sequel to that story. It's a sequel to the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. It's it's a sequel. It's a part two. And and most people think of Joshua as this real bloody book. But beyond, let me be really clear, beyond the battlefields in this book, Joshua is far more interested in the land, the land of Canaan, in taking possession of the land, land that had been promised to them Land that had been promised to Abraham for centuries. They've waited and waited. And now the fulfillment of these promises are about to happen, are about to take place right now. Right here. And so, we'll begin in the first chapter of Joshua, starting in verse 3. This is our second uh, second sermon, our Uh, Part 2 in our own study through the book of Joshua. And so this is what he says. Verse 3, Joshua 1. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. The land of Canaan, it's God's gift to Israel. The land of Canaan, God's gift to to the people of Israel. Now, at different times, including today, we will see where Moses is giving, or Joshua is giving, or the nation's giving. But make, let me make it really clear in those instances, they are but the agents. God is the one making this happen. They're not just taking this on their own. Like God, God is there. They're not self sufficient. God is. And they're, they're going to take this land. Verse 3 is pretty clear about that. And I wish I didn't even have to say this, to be honest. I I really, it really annoys me that I have to say this. I even have to acknowledge this. But verse 3, as well as many other verses uh, in the Bible, in Joshua, in this chapter, just get cut and pasted however they want. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about and where I'm going with this thing called the prosperity gospel. And, and I've heard it, turn on CBN or turn on uh, some, some big TV pastor, usually. And it's something along the lines of, man, every step that you take, you just, you just take that for the Lord. You just keep taking those steps. You take that. It's already been given to you. You p- hold your wallet out right now. Just hold it out. You take that step. That's good. You name it. You claim it. God's already given that to you. You're a victor, not a victim. Can I get an amen? Some of you, that's way too, like, real. I wish I didn't have to say this. I wish I didn't. This is so annoying that I have to. But this just gets ripped out. 
And I've, I've heard people talk about it this way. Like literally, you just take steps and those are already given to you. That's, you just take that for yourself. Let me be really clear in case you missed my 90 second introduction to this uh, theme of this story. The book of Joshua is really focused on the people of Israel, not Virginia, the people of Israel taking possession of the land that had been promised for centuries. Land had been promised to their father, Abraham. Yes, he's our spiritual father, but, but this, is, this is ethnic Israel right here. This land flowing with milk and honey. It's, it's not the mid-Atlantic. It's not Maryland. It's not New Jersey. It's not, it's not those places. Like, this is Palestine. This is Canaan. And I see it, and some of you have seen it before. I mean, you probably saw something like this on some Instagram meme or Facebook meme, maybe even this week, and it just gets me so annoyed. I wish I didn't have to come and sweep up the mess that so many people make when they just slice and dice this text so that they get more viewership or whatever it is. No, the land is Israel's gift. Moses, Joshua, the nation as a whole, they are the agents. God is the one giving this to them. God has promised this to them. Verse 4 makes this really, really clear. This is this is, makes this really clear in case you're like, well, could it be Virginia? Maybe. Verse 4, it says this, From the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Verse 4 is a, a, generalized, a generalized geographic description of this land. Okay? No mention here to the Blue Ridge Parkway. No mention here to, to anything else. Like, it's, 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 it's obviously very clear here where we see the great river Euphrates, even though it's not part of the, the border, but rather a, a generalized description representing the, the extreme northeastern border. The river Jordan, in reality, is the, the true eastern border, that in the Arabian Desert. The great sea here is a reference to the Mediterranean and while there was a great Hittite kingdom at the time of Joshua, the reference to Hittite here is used to really refer to any different peoples in the Bible. It's synonymous for the Canaanites living there in the land. And so verse 4 shows us this general description, this general area that accounts to verse 3 for the land that they're going to take. And then he says in verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Wonderful news. Wonderful news. God's going to be with Joshua in the same way that he was with Moses. A lot more on verse 5 in a few moments. Verse 6. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land. This is where we see Joshua as one of the agents, right? You're going to cause the people to inherit the land, but we know this isn't Joshua in and of himself. This is, this is God using Joshua as an agent to bring about what he has promised. Be strong and courageous, verse 6, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. And then, verse 7, 
only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This theme of being strong and courageous is peppered through the story of Joshua, especially the the first chapter. Makes me think of the movie Courageous. It's okay. Um, You can just hear the theme song. You can be courageous, or however it goes, something like that, or maybe not so close. But either way, there's different ways when we think about being strong and courageous. Because you've probably heard this. You're like, oh yeah, I think that's in the first chapter of Joshua. I've heard it in the Bible, or maybe it was an association with a movie. But strong and courageous. Strong and courageous. Repeated throughout the story. How we understand this matters a lot. Because until this past week, I noticed something that I had never noticed before. And maybe, maybe you've noticed it before. I hadn't. But I'll tell you what that is. When it comes to being strong and courageous, that's clearly a central focus of these verses today, there's usually one or two ways that this goes. The first is a really, really bad. It it typically is the, you need to be strong and courageous because you're awesome, and you're awesome. You guys are all awesome. Just awesome. Because God made you to be a victor, not a victim. Mm, Testify, right? Nobody better say anything right there. And so the the first view of looking at being strong and courageous is very man-centered, very almost self-centered, like, I'm awesome, Right? I don't like that view. The second view is usually you can be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous because of the promise. Just remember the promise in verse 5? Just as I was with Moses, I'm, I'm going to be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So because of the promise of God's presence, he's with us. He's with us holding our hand. We can be strong and courageous. That's a lot better view than the first one as far as how we interpret and understand being strong and courageous. And yet, I think there's a third option. I didn't see this until this past week when I was preparing for this message. I think there's a third option, because typically, when you think about what he's saying in verse 7, he is essentially giving Joshua the key to success. And if you don't like losing or being a failure and you want to succeed, you should pay attention to this, because it's good advice. Key to success. Now, remember... Beyond the battlefields, it's focused on the land. That's the story. Taking possession of the land promised to Abraham that they've been waiting for. But there are still battlefields involved. Okay, they, they are on the brink of war. They're about to go in and take the land. Oh, by the way, for those of you who weren't here when we were in part one, people live in the land. People live in the land. They're going to go take the land, but people actually live there. And when you try to take something that doesn't belong to you, people are usually very resistant. Okay, they don't like you taking things They don't belong to you. They don't. People are going to die. Like, understand that that God's promises are true, but people are going to die. And so what's interesting is you hear him say, be strong and courageous, and naturally, like, I've always thought, without ever giving this much look, that this would clearly talk about some type of key issue related to the military, because they're going to be engaging in combat. And yet... What's surprising is in verse 7, he doesn't have anything to say about military matters as far as the key to his success. He doesn't. 
says, be strong and courageous. Because I'm thinking, all right, be strong and courageous because God's with us, yet we have his presence, and so he's going to help us kill all these guys. doesn't say that. What does he say? Be strong and courageous so that he can do what? Go, go fight the Canaanites? Nope. Be strong and courageous in order that you may be careful to obey all the law of Moses. The key to success here is that Joshua is deeply rooted in the word of God. And I've never heard that explained in such a way. But I'm reading this, I'm like, that's what he's telling you to be strong and courageous to. Not to go fight bad guys, not to climb a mountain, but be strong and courageous in order that you can be so careful to obey God's word. That you don't deviate to the left, that you don't deviate to the right. No doubt there's a temptation. Why does he need to be strong and courageous? Because there is a real temptation that Joshua has, just as we all have, to deviate one way or another. I have a friend. We'll call him Mike. I'm hanging out with Mike on a trip a while ago. And I had to confront Mike about some stuff. And Mike, Mike pulls me aside and says, Joe, understand this. I'm all about obeying God, following God. But I'd like to have one week off a year. It was actually a spring break trip now that I think about it. I'd like to have one week off a year just to do whatever I want to do. For many of us, maybe we're not as bold to say it like that, but that's exactly how it is. We say, like Mike, okay, I'll obey all the law some of the time. All the law? Some of the time. I want my one week off. Or then there's the other camp and says, oh no, I'll obey some of the law all the time. Right? Whether you want to be the person that says, I'll obey all the law some of the time because I want my one week off, or I'll obey some of the law all the time. That's the person who says, I'm going to obey all these things except when it comes to this, 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 and this. I don't want to do that. It doesn't fit well with what I want to do. The key for Joshua is that he's rooted in God's word. That's the key. And Chad, he preached last week. And he was preaching on the aspect of loving God. And he did an excellent job, especially because when we think of love, we normally think of it as an action. And he did an excellent job focusing and depicting the aspect of love being an emotion. Um, Like uh, loving God, like with our heart, with our feelings, like beyond just actions. Uh, And he, one of my favorite quotes was how he said, love is not more than a feeling, but it's also not less than a feeling. One of my favorite things he said And yet, we also know that loving God also is about obeying God. Jesus says in John 14, 15, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Therefore, we understand that love, to a certain degree, is related to obeying God, following God. And oh, by the way, I can't obey God if I don't know God. That's, that's, That's why we disciple people, right? To help them know more about who God is. Because without knowing God, I can't understand what the expectations of God, what they are, and therefore I can't love him as I was made to, as I ought to. And so loving God certainly involves, to some degree, obedience and some degree knowing God. You've got to know God in order to obey God, and you've got to obey God in order to, to love God. 
The key for Joshua's success beyond the battlefields is being rooted in God's word. The reason I want you to be strong and courageous, Joshua, is because I know there's going to be a temptation. I know there's going to be a temptation where you don't want to obey all the law, where you want to deviate, where you want to cruise off to the left or to the right. Don't do that. You've got to be strong in those moments, right? In those moments, you've got to be self-controlled. And so, he goes on to say this in verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Not from your mouth. It's interesting. He doesn't say this book of the law shall not depart from your head or your heart. You might think he'd say that. At least I did. True, I think, true statements. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't say the book of the law might not depart from your head or your heart, but your mouth. More on that in a moment. But you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. You might be so careful, right? I want you to be strong. I want you to be courageous to carefully obey all the law that you have. There's no doubt going to be temptations that come that will want to pull you away, that you won't want to in some instances to obey the law. You'll want to deviate, and I know that's going to happen. And so here's one of the ways that can protect and guard you against it. Don't let it depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Now, when I say meditate, like you might have all different types of ideas that come in. I mean... When we say meditate, whether you're thinking like hot yoga or whether you're thinking of some quasi-Eastern pagan mysticism. I, I, I say that, I, once again, I wish I didn't have to clarify this, but like it's just seeps so much into the church. Like there's these weeds here. I'm like, I gotta, gotta spray them. Gotta pull them out. Because I say meditate, you might be thinking something totally pagan. When I say meditate, Biblically, this is, this is the Old Testament concept of meditation. It involves two things. First, it involves a focus on God himself. Psalms 63.6 illustrates this. It says, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. The Old Testament concept of meditation involves two things. It involves a focus upon God himself, a focus upon his works, a focus upon his law, his his word. And second, the activity is done aloud. There's a reason he doesn't say, don't let the word depart from your heart or mind, though that would probably be just as true, but don't let it depart from your, your mouth. Like, say it. Say it, Joshua. Say it. I think this is so important, not just for ourselves, I'll make an application here, not just for ourselves, but for the benefit of others also. And and the reason for that is in those moments when we want to depart from the law, we are very, as Piper would say, we are very reluctant to affirm truths that contradict the sin that we want to engage in. Let me say that again. When we want to do sin... We're very hesitant to affirm truths that contradict that sin. So if I am in my room and I'm looking at things on my computer or I'm on a date or whatever it may be and I'm wanting to do things that I know I should not be doing, I'm not like, huh, well, I got my, got my screen here. I 
got my girlfriend, my boyfriend next to me. Let me think of a good Bible verse that says to do the opposite of the thing that I really want to do right now. What was that? Maybe, uh, maybe Matthew 5 or I go first. 1 Corinthians 6 or 7. Like, we don't think that way, right? We don't. Talk about the law not departing from your mouth. It's not just beneficial for the individual. I think it's beneficial for those of us who in those moments are struggling. Are we going to deviate to the left? Are we going to deviate to the right? Are we going to, like Mike, say, I want a week off? Spring break? I want a week off. Don't let it depart from your mouth. Why? So we can say it. And oh, by the way, in those moments of weakness, we need people who love our soul to say it to us. Dude, sister, you're supposed to be here and you're way off course right now. You are way off course. Like, I I love you. I got to say these things, right? Because like, you're, you're way off. What are you doing? This is the key to success. It's being rooted in God's word, and you're all over the place right now. Don't let the law depart from your mouth, Joshua. Meditate on it day and night, Joshua. Day and night. And what amazes me is so many Christians think that they can just coast. That they can just coast that they can show up here on a Sunday afternoon and for many people, the last time they opened this book was the last time they sat in here. The key for Joshua's success is to be rooted in God's Word. And so many of us think that we can just drift on by. You don't realize what you're up against if that's what you think. You don't. Think you can go week to week or gathering to gathering? That's the only time you open this book? You're kidding yourselves. Some of you know, know what I'm talking about. I, well, I think it was back in, uh, it was over Christmas break, and I was visiting my mom out in Washington State. I was with Diana, and I remember coming and saying, Diana, I just feel sick right now. And she said, what's wrong? And I said, I don't think I've opened my Bible in the last four days. And it was just, I just felt like there was this chasm. Like, I, I had just drifted so far off course. I just, and I'm, I was so, in one sense, I, I just felt just sick. Like, I mean, I just starved. I felt like God was so, I hadn't opened my Bible in four days. And I'm thankful for that. Some of you are like, I don't know what that feels like. Because I can go four days and I'm like, I feel fine. Uh, yeah, I remember that feeling. How, how do I fix that? You don't. God does. Like if that's you and you're like, well, I wish, I, I wish that's, that would be my experience. I wish I felt that way. Then pray. Like even silently right now to yourself. Like God, help me to be bothered. Help me to be bothered if I so much miss, like, one day. I mean, it bothers you if you don't have food in your belly for a day. It should bother us, like, if we're not rooted in God's word for a day. Oh, God, that you might make me like the deer who pants, whose throat is dry, who just wants you, Jesus. That's the key to success here. 
So many of us kid ourselves and think that we can go days, weeks without this. There's a word for that, and it's called foolishness. It's called foolishness. I don't say that to beat you up or make you feel bad. I say that because I want us all to understand this, right? Joshua, be strong, courageous. Not to go kill Canaanites. At least not here. Be strong, courageous, because it will be hard and temptations will come and you'll want to deviate or maybe not follow the law the way that you should be following the law. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't buy into that. Don't deviate. Don't go that way, Joshua. Rather, meditate on God's word. Let it not depart from your mouth. And then he says at the end of verse 8, he says, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Once again, I really wish I didn't have to even mention this, but many Christians will read verse 8, they'll read verse 7, and they'll see this, as well as other passages, as guarantees that all Christians will or should succeed in every venture that they undertake and that they will prosper financially if they're truly following God. And the problem with that oftentimes is then when a Christian doesn't succeed, when what they were going for doesn't work out, right? I asked the girl out and she said no, right? Well, you must not be following God then. Or if they're not financially well off, they get condemned because... Well, they're lacking in faith or there's some type of sin issue in their life. Let me just be really clear, and I'll use one illustration that will hopefully erase any type of thinking towards this way. Job was stripped of his financial wealth for reasons that had nothing to do with any lack of faith or obedience. As one commentator notes, in the Old Testament, prosperity is not financial in its primary orientation, if at all. Rather, it refers to succeeding in proper endeavors. And oh, by the way, the success is granted by God, not attained by human achievement. It's not like, okay, if I'm really, really good and I read my Bible every day this week, then I'm going to get whatever that is thing that I really, really want. It's not like that. Like, you get a gold star because you read your Bible every day this week or something. Like, that's not how God works. The success is granted by God, not attained by human achievements. Once again, I wish I didn't have to mention this. I really wish I didn't have to. But I have turned on enough post-game sports interviews. I, I, I still remember, like this one time, I mean, I turned on the TV and there's Ray Lewis and he's like, no weapon formed against us will prosper, right? I mean, I don't know if he just sacked somebody or what. But there he is, right? No interception will be returned or recovered. No fumble will be turned over because we're with God. Right? Every step that we take, we're taking another yard. Okay, now, I would also go so far as I emphasize the sovereignty of God to say, yes, I think God cares about football games or sports games. But, oh, that we might be careful not to copy and paste these verses to fit such instances Right? As if, if you're walking with God and you had a really good week this week with God and your personal devotions or whatever, you get a gold star and so then you're going to get exactly what you want. That's what a lot of people would have you think. I see, like I said, I see it pretty much every, in almost every other post-game sports interview oftentimes. God's on our side. 
And then at the same time, I see people condemned because, well, they must not have had enough faith or they've got some sin issue in their life. That's, that's, that's Job's story, right? That's what the people were giving him crap for. So verse 9, have I not commanded you? Yeah, he has. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you. He's with you wherever you go. Verse 9 is in really just going to restate verse 5 in its own way. The command to be strong and courageous. Why? Because of God's promised presence. What does verse 5 say? Verse 5 says, No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I've got to be honest. We talked about this in part one of our study through the book of Joshua. Moses. Moses. You say so much about Moses. He's the only leader they ever knew. And he's dead. He's the only leader their parents ever knew. And he's dead. If there was ever a moment that you'd want a Moses when you're about to cross the LZ, like the line, like you're about to step off into enemy territory, if there was ever a time where you want your starting quarterback, like I don't care how well it worked out for the Eagles, like if there was ever a time that you want your starter, you want Moses there, it'd be right now. And the whole book of Joshua starts off, oh, by the way, Moses is dead. He's the only leader these people ever knew. He's the only leader their parents ever knew. And he's gone. Maybe some of you have that one person in your life who's like your rock. What would I do if they weren't here? Especially in a moment in which I really, really, really would need them. When it's a life and death situation, we're going to go into battle. And people are going to die. You don't think it encouraged Joshua to hear him say, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. And the beauty of Joshua 1.5 is that Hebrews 13.5 and 6 helps us to interpret this even fuller. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's a beauty right there. So verse 5 says, keep your life free from love of money. Now I understand Joshua chapter 1 has had no reference whatsoever to this love of money. I will do my best to make sense of this, to make an application, put a nice little bow on this, so that that doesn't cause any type of distraction for you. So he says, keep your life free from love of money. Now, it's interesting. When we talk about commands, typically commands are understood like, do this, don't do that, right? Do this. I don't know why I clapped, but it seemed appropriate. That's just... But this command's different. Keep your life free from love of money. The command here is a command... A command to feel a certain way. And it raises the question, how do we obey a command to feel a certain way? Keep your life free from love of money. It's a feeling, right? How do, how do we obey... Really, is an interesting question. How do we obey this command to not feel this way? 
I had to look this one up. There's a great look at the book episode on this. Piper helped me understand this. But I thought it was just so interesting. So we're trying to obey a command, according to Hebrews 13, 5, and 6, to be free from feeling a certain way. And oh, by the way, feeling a certain way, he says, so we, in verse 6, so we can confidently say, oh, by the way, confidence is a feeling too. Just a quick observation. So how do we do this? And I think it's also interesting as we understand how we do this. Notice what he doesn't say in verse 6. He says, in verse 6, he doesn't say, where it says, so we can confidently say, you, you might see him say, you might think that he'd say, okay, so we, so we believe, or that we trust. But he doesn't say those things. He says, so we say confidently. So we say confidently. Now, I think belief and trust is certainly present here. And yet, and yet, there's something to be said about this. I think especially when we pray. Some of you pray. Typically go we'll sit down because we were in prayer pots last week. And uh, we'll sit down and I'll pray for you. You'll pray for someone and then you say, okay, amen. And then oftentimes you'll get up and you'll think, well, I really hope that works out okay for Caleb. <laughs> That's what happens, right? We pray and we're like, well, God, I, I believe you can do that. I, I believe you can do that, but I'm not sure you actually will do that. That's oftentimes we pray. Like we pray that something will happen and we think, well, I kind of hope that happens. Hope it works out okay for him. No, you, you know that we, we do that sometimes. I started... Um, I started, some of you guys are going to think I'm really charismatic. I started doing this, like I'd pray, pray for people. Not always, sometimes. I'd say, especially if there was an ailment or something going on with you. Um, I'd pray, and then I'd say, do you feel better, same or the worse? And if he says the same or worse, I'd say, okay. We're going to keep praying. I think sometimes we, we just give up way too easily. We're like, oh, okay, well, we'll get together next small group and do it again, you know. Maybe it'll stick then. I think it's interesting. He says, so we can say confidently. Sometimes we, we, just, we just do that. We like throw up a prayer and then hope that someone catches it. Well, I, I believe he can do it. I'm not sure if he will. We need to wrestle in prayer more. We do. I'm making some applications here, so hang with me because this is This is critical. I mean, there are times where I have absolutely no desire to be rooted in God's word. I remember a time, and I remember sitting on my living room floor, and I said, God, I have absolutely no desire right now. I want to have a desire to open my word, open your word, spend time with you. I have no desire right now. But you know what? I'm not moving my butt right now. I'm going to sit here until I have that desire. I'm not going anywhere. I don't care how long I'm sitting here, God. I got all day. I'm going nowhere. Because what I'm asking is a really good thing. What I'm asking, you need to answer this, God. I don't care how long it's going to take, I'm not moving here from this position on the floor until you give me what I've asked you for, until you give me a desire for you. I think this plays into being rooted in God's Word because we do this, we're like, uh, yeah, okay, I'm not feeling it. Maybe tomorrow the Holy Spirit will show up. We do that. Maybe not you. I do that. I've done that. 
So he doesn't say we can believe this. He doesn't say we can trust this. He says we can say confidently. Huh. Okay. Where are you going, author of Hebrews? Because where he's going is going to help us better understand the promise of Joshua 1.5. And where it seems that he is going is that God has appointed a means. God has appointed a means. Like, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to keep saying this, or as Piper would say, I'm going to preach this to myself. I'm going to preach this. Preach it. Why? Because I need it. Because you need it. Sometimes you think, man, I need to hear God's word proclaimed to me, preached to my soul right now. So what do you do? You just like, well, i got to wait another six or seven days until I get to hear someone preaching the word to me. I'll just wait another six or seven days. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. You preach it to yourself, right? So that we may say confidently, not that we may believe, not that we may trust, that we say confidently. There's a promise there. I remember almost four years ago to the day, driving down Greenview Drive, tears, just tears, just, I'd cried so much that week. And I'm just preaching it to myself. I'm, I'm, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Or 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. We do not lose heart. Because I want to lose heart right now. But we're not losing heart. We're not losing heart today. Why? Because there's a promise attached there. And, and the promise is God's presence. That's the promise. That's Joshua 1.5. I will not leave you, Joshua. I will not forsake you. I know that you're not Moses. I know that you're probably feeling a little trepidatious right now. I know that there's nerves coming, Joshua. I know that you're on the brink of one of the biggest historical operations in this country, ever, bar none. And so I want to give you something, Joshua. What I'm giving you is I'm giving you my word. I'm, I'm writing this out with you. That's, that's, the observ- that's, that's the understanding, that's the interpretation of Joshua 1.5 is that God has promised his presence. And oh, by the way, the Lord's our helper. Like, if he's promised his presence, I want you to follow this, connect the dots here. Like, if his promise of his presence is true, as Joshua 1.5 says, that means he is our helper. Say, so where do you get that from? Because the author of Hebrews interprets it for us. He's our helper. And if he's our helper, then number three, man can't ruin us. How do you know man can't ruin us? From the rhetorical question, what can man do to us? The implied answer is he can't do anything to us. And so if he's promised his presence, we know that he's our helper. And if that's true, we know that man can't ruin us. And if that's true, we don't have to be afraid. You think Joshua might be scared? I would be. We don't have to be afraid. And oh, by the way, if we don't have to be afraid, then we can be free from the love of money. But this doesn't, Joshua's not talking about love of money. Okay, so let me apply this. He promises his presence. 
His presence is there. Therefore, he's our helper. He's our helper. Man can't ruin us. Man can't ruin us. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. We can be free from the love of money or, don't miss this, or anything that we ground our security in. Or anything that we ground our security in. Contextually for Joshua, I would guess he might ground his security in how many battle-ready men he has to go, how many supplies he has, how many weapons they have. For a freshman or sophomore or junior, it might be whether or not I stay on honor roll this semester or whether or not I get that relationship that I so badly want or keep the relationship that I don't want to let go of or whatever it may be, right? Because that's where my security is. And I think if maybe if I have that, if I've got 20,000 troops, I'm thinking, Joshua, that's not nearly as scary as if I only have 5,000. If I've got the relationship, I can check that off. That's not nearly as scary as going into my last semester being single or whatever it may be. So what's the key? The key is understanding his promise. I will not leave you nor forsake you, Joshua. I was with Moses. I'm going to be with you. You're not alone. Sometimes being in leadership feels really lonely. I imagine that might be a little bit of how Joshua feels if he ever needed to hear this. It's right about now. The key is understanding God's promised presence. Therefore, all these things happen if I believe it and if I say it. So that we might say confidently, right? I know this is true. I know he's not leaving us. And so I'm going to say this confidently. Like, if this is true, then I know he's my helper. I know there's nothing man can do to me. That's how you obey the command. That's how you obey the command in the Bible to feel something. You say it and preach it to yourself all day long. I'm thankful for this promise. I'm really thankful that this promise is just as much for believers today as it was for Joshua to understand that he told his disciples in Matthew 28, I will be with you always to the end. I need to hear that. I'm going to be with you always until the end, until the end of the age. How many of them lived to die a martyr's death and perhaps in their final moments had those thoughts running through their mind? He's with me. He's with me. As their head is being severed like Paul by the sword, he's with me. He's with me. I will be with you always to the end of the age. I pray that that would give us comfort. Monster truths here. Don't let go of them. The key to your success is the same as Joshua, is to be rooted in God's word. Don't deviate and preach it to yourself every day and to others. That's what good friends do. We love you, Lord. Thank you for the promise that you will be with us always to the end, that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. Even when everyone else does, you're still there. You're still there. God, help us to be strong and courageous.
Help us to be strong, courageous. In so doing, we may be so careful to follow your instructions for our lives. Help us, Jesus. Amen.